It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Hello, I'm Niall and welcome to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the week, every single day of the season. And we may have a scaled back Premier League programme this weekend, but that doesn't lower the stakes as there are some crunch clashes in the top flight. Brighton and Newcastle lock horns as the scrap to stay up intensifies. It's a London derby on Sunday afternoon too as Champions League chasing West Ham welcome Arsenal. And can Tottenham scrape themselves off the floor after an abject showing in Croatia midweek? They attempt to bounce back from Europa League ejection as they travel to Aston Villa. We'll preview all of that as well as diving into the draw for the Champions League quarterfinals as Chelsea, Manchester United and Liverpool discover who their last eight opponents will be. Plus, we'll cast an eye over the latest England squad. Gareth Southgate's most recent three Lions picks have raised a few eyebrows. Joining me today for Football Social Daily, we have journalist Pete Hall. Hello to you, Pete. Hello, Niall. You you said to me before we started recording, you have been ridiculously busy, so hopefully we're not a burden on your Friday evening. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never. It's what, I, it's what I look forward to most, all week. <laughs> oh, how kind of you. We've also got broadcaster Michelle <laughs> Owen with us. Hi, Michelle. Yeah, likewise. Hello, guys. You're right. <laughs> uh, it's Michelle Owen, not Michael Owen, by the way. So don't go tweeting Michelle when Michael says something funny on the TV. Oh, when Jeff, <laughs> Jeff called me Michael the other day, just because he thought it was funny. <laughs> not funny, not hilarious. Come on, Jeff. You should know better. <laughs> Professional like Jeff Stelling. Uh, just the three Premier League games this weekend. So let's get stuck straight in and share our thoughts about those forthcoming fixtures. And we'll begin at the Amex Stadium, where Saturday night's top flight entertainment sees Brighton welcome Newcastle United to the South Coast. A huge game in the fight for Premier League survival. Brighton, three points clear of the relegation zone. Newcastle, just two points above the dotted line, which leads me to ask this completely Loaded question, Pete. Are there any hmm. clear favourites in this game? Uh, no, is the short is the short answer <laughs> to that. Um, I mean, it's, it's 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 one of the biggest cliches ever in the history of any sport, any any recreation, anything. That but this is the very definition. If you looked in the Oxford Dictionary, of a six pointer, <laughs> and 
it is it is it is crazy that that at this stage of the season that one one game can be so important. But you look at Brighton's running, for example, the the teams that they've still got to play. They have mm. to win this. They simply have to win at home. They ha- they simply have to win this. Newcastle one game could see Steve Bruce sacked. One bad result could see Steve Bruce sacked, and he kind of acknowledged that today in his in his press conference. But he admitted he admitted his own failings. He admitted he's not been good enough uh, this season. And he said that, you know, it's if, if I get sacked, it's out of my hands. I won't be walking away. But he knows full well that one bad result, if they lose, you know, heavily at Brighton, he'd be gone. Mm. I would, th- I, I think. So it's just huge. Like, they are, they're falling so fast, Newcastle. They need to arrest that very quickly. Uh, with the injuries they've got, it's going to be very, very difficult. But it's so it's such a big game for, for both teams. Mm. Um, you didn't think you didn't think Brighton were going to get dragged into this relegation battle. They play, they've played some good stuff this season. But they just have fifty shots a game and don't score. That's the, that's been the, that's that's been the problem. It's a mad team to watch this season, and the home record is horrific as well. Like they've got one win in eighteen at home in the Premier League, which is which is poor. I mean that's relegation form if ever there was. So mm. it's such a such a, a massive game at, at this stage and impossible to predict. Cause it, but it will be it'll be intense. I don't think it'll be necessarily exciting, but it'll be very tense indeed. There was a point not long ago. I think it was in January where Brighton's latest three home wins came in three different calendar years, 2019, 2020, and now 2021. You're absolutely right, Pete. Home form, big issue for Brighton. We'll come on to the Seagulls in a sec. Are we getting to the point now, Michelle, where we are starting to look down to the finer details like goal difference already? If you look at Newcastle in 17th place, minus 17, 28 points. Brighton, a place above and a point ahead in 16th but they've got minus seven they've got 10 goals better off than their opponents and if it does come down to the wire you think that if there are any side that perhaps might have the benefit of a better goal difference it would be Brighton with that 10 goal swing yeah at the time of speaking although like Pete was saying there they've got quite the fixture uh, running to come um I think it's I think it's possibly a bigger game for Newcastle than it is for Brighton because if if Brighton don't lose then Newcastle can't leapfrog them but like Pete said, you know, given the games that Brian have got to come, it's going to be difficult to pick up points in those games. And that is where the goal difference could could start changing. Um, if Newcastle were to miraculously pick up some form, OK, they've got Spurs. But then after that, Burnley is a game they'd be looking to. But then even after that, they've got difficult games to come. So at this stage, you'd be looking at goal difference for sure. Um, mm. Because they're both on 28 games, same games to go. And Fulham have the game more that they've played below them but mm. every little thing is going to count now and whether you get the rub of the green whether you get a little bit of luck um so yeah every little stat as well i'm sure will be delved into um <laughs> but it's it's a quite toxic in newcastle at the moment and mm. i haven't seen so much in the press about such problems at brighton i think graham potter is is very well liked um Having dealt with him before, he's he's a nice bloke. Not that Steve Bruce isn't. I've dealt with him as well, but <laughs> I know the Newcastle fans are not a fan of Steve Bruce. Um, mm. It's just not enough to keep picking up points like they do and not scoring many goals. That's not going to help mm. the goal difference, is it? No, absolutely. And I suppose the key factor is something that Pete's already touched upon. The fact that Brighton can get to the edge of the box, they can get into the box, they can get six yards from goal, they just can't put it in the back of the net. (laughs) And, you know, in the Premier League, when things are as ruthless as they are, that could cost you. Um, As for Newcastle, winless in their last five games, 
Steve Bruce's side have had three draws on the spin though, Pete, but they're going to need more than that to stay up. And Michelle's already touched upon Fulham there. You know, they're a, a place below in the relegation zone. They are in the bottom three, Fulham. But 11 draws for them this season. And Newcastle, even though they've drawn three on the spin their last three games, it's not going to be enough to keep them up. They need three points, don't they? No, I'm, I'm, the reason that Newcastle and Brighton are under pressure now is because Fulham have had a, a recent resurgence. They've mm-hmm. drew, they, they drew a lot of games earlier on in the season, but they've started to pick up a few more wins. Um, and the reason why everyone's sort of saying this is such a six-pointer and and why people are talking about Brighton and Newcastle to be relegated is it's because of this form of, that, that Fulham are in and the way they've been playing as well. I think that's the key thing. It's like Fulham are playing some decent football at the moment. They had, they had quite a good January um, as January windows uh, go. It's quite difficult to get it right in the January transfer window. And the couple of signings that they brought in uh, seem to be making a difference. And uh, Joss Madger and, and mm. uh, Adam Ola Luckman up front are, are starting to gel. Um, Anderson at the back has been a great signing. Um, yeah. Already, already captain, which kind of says it all, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it's they've 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 been lucky, you know, because signings like that, you really, you know, when you pluck them from more obscure leagues, let's say, um, without signing too 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 much like too much like a little in Englander, um, it's it's very difficult to um, get those signings right, and um, you, you kind of need a bit of luck. Really, you can look at these players and think they're going to be. But are they going to hit the ground running in the Premier League when at the, when you're in a relegation battle? You need them to. Uh, and they have. And uh, that's what sort of dragged them back up into it. Everyone just assumes now that Fulham are going to stay up and it's going to be sort of one, <laughs> uh, you know, a Brighton or Newcastle that are, that are going to go down because Fulham are playing so well. But it can easily mm-hmm. turn with a couple of injuries. The big problem and the big difference is Fulham have got their big players fit and Newcastle, Newcastle are missing uh, their biggest by far and away um most key member of the squad in Callum Wilson without his goals there yeah. effectively nothing up front and without I think is Almiron is out as well mm. um, and it's St Maximum as well I mean <laughs> I mean, what are you going to be left with there Andy Carroll and Dwight York uh, Dwight York Dwight York you know what I think he'd, he'd get a game I think he'd get a game at Newcastle at the moment <laughs> But uh, yeah, Dwight, Dwight Gale and Andy Carroll up front, I don't think that's going to strike the fear into too many defences, is it? But I, I think Dwight Schrute could get a game at Newcastle <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> uh, of course, no Wilson, Sam Axeman or Almiron, as Pete rightly says. Key injuries, an awful time for them. Steve Bruce, as you've said, Michelle, is really getting on the wick of the Newcastle supporters. They're fed up of his post-match comments where he just keeps saying every single game after every result, we got the balance wrong. Or if they win or get a draw, we got the balance right. And it feels like he doesn't really know what he's talking about. It feels like he's a little bit on autopilot and it's really getting under the skin of these Newcastle fans. Is it fair, though, if Newcastle do end up getting sucked into the bottom three and let's just say he keeps his job for argument's sake and they do get relegated? Is it fair for him to kind of level those injuries to key players at this stage of the season as a reason for their demise? Uh, yes and no, uh, which is not the answer you're you're, you're looking for. But um, <laughs> go on, say something controversial, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that the COVID outbreak, what was it, November was was tr- very tricky for for them. But there's been other clubs sure. that have had COVID outbreaks, and I'll talk about Aston Villa because Villa were one of them. You know, and mm, I'm, mm. as a Villa fan, you know, thought the club dealt with it well. Of course, they had some players out for even longer, but it's. <sighs> It's not something you can keep coming back to every game, you know. Obviously, Liverpool have been decimated by injuries as well. Other clubs have had to cope with the schedule, just as Newcastle have. But I just, I think if you're a Newcastle supporter right now, they're not sitting at home saying, 
oh yeah, it's because of the injuries we're in this position and it's because of the COVID outbreak. They think it's because of Steve Bruce and his tactics and his training. Um, it was a similar end for him at Villa when he went and the atmosphere just turned really toxic. So, oh, yeah, he's probably relieved there's no fans at the moment at St. James's Park because it would not be a nice place for him to be. I think if there were fans at St. James's Park, he would have gone by now. But he says he's not going to walk away. He said that in the press this week. He won't walk away. It must be quite painful for him. Like, given, you know, that it's the club he wants to be at and, and everything that goes with it. But there is a common denominator that everyone's turned to, the reason why it's not working. And you do feel a bit bad for him, given what Pete's just said about those injuries and who he's got at his disposal this weekend. But you've just got to adapt, you know. And this is not a completely fair comparison, but Manchester City didn't even play with a striker the other week. Or the other night, was it? Um, so he's got to look to his squad for options. Because on paper, they still have a decent squad. So, yeah, you would have thought maybe a couple of months ago, it was impossible for Newcastle to be in this position. But they've been sucked right in and... Yeah, massive, massive danger of going down now. I think once that Newcastle faithful turn against you, it is very, very difficult to claw them back on side. And you will have seen it as well at Aston Villa, Michelle, like you say about Steve Bruce during his tenure there. I think if the fans were allowed into St. James's, the cabbages might have been on the pitch by now already. Unfortunately for Steve Bruce, um, of course, Marley Anderson on the podcast often mentions about Cabbage Gate when it comes to Steve Bruce. Um, still, the run-ins, as we've already touched upon, look really intriguing. Brighton have still got to play Manchester United, Everton and Chelsea. That's their next three games. Plus West Ham, Manchester City and Arsenal all still to come. Those are their final three games of the season. Newcastle, meanwhile, Spurs, West Ham, Manchester City, Liverpool and Leicester all to come. Plus Fulham on the final day. Could it all boil down to that last game of the season in terms of who stays up and who goes down? Of course, we'll have to wait and see. One team I did want to touch upon, albeit they're not in action this weekend, Pete, is Wolverhampton Wanderers because they may be the unexpected difference makers in this relegation battle in the Premier League this season because if you look at their fixtures, presuming that they're safe, which we think they will be at this point of the season, they've still got Fulham, West Brom and Brighton all to play. So Newcastle fans might be uh, buying some Wolves memorabilia before too long if it means that they're going to stay in the Premier League this year because they've got a key part to play, it looks like. And that won't be very reassuring to fans either because Wolves have been probably one of the most inconsistent teams in the Premier League this season. Uh, you, you do not know which Wolves team is going to turn up week on week. Uh, they've improved a lot of late, um, but... They're very much capable of 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 a, of a terrible performance as as much as they're capable of of uh, turning mm. teams over. Um, so yes, I, I uh, I'd be very worried if that if you're going to have to rely on uh, Wolves one way or another in the in the uh, if to, to remain in the Premier League. Brighton against Newcastle Saturday 8 p.m. Look in the Oxford Dictionary. Pete says you'll find it under the definition of six pointer. Uh, massive. I think you probably find it under there as well. <laughs> Huge game for both clubs, the Seagulls and the Toon. Saturday, 8pm in the Premier League. What about Sunday's affairs? Three o'clock kickoff at the London Stadium sees West Ham welcome Arsenal. A game which Arsenal have dominated over the years, Michelle, in the top flight. But if West Ham are genuinely serious about qualifying for the Champions League this season, and they still have a very good chance of doing so, they'll need to win against the Gunners to draw level with Chelsea in fourth, heading into the international break. Yeah, um, but they could put a five and six point gap between them and the chasing pack, but that would obviously depend on on results elsewhere. I mean, West mm. Ham are just a revelation 
this season. I mean, who'd have thought mm. it? Um, Jesse Lingard going there and, and literally proving his worth, proving he's, he's still got it. And David Moyes, obviously a, bit, a big fan of his. Um, hoping he's fit this weekend, so I've just stuck in my fantasy team. But, <laughs> yeah, but um, you just look at some... I mean, I, OK, they lost to Manchester United, but... Um, you know, some of the results they, they, they've had, like beating Spurs and Leeds are such a difficult team to beat as well. Um, OK, they thrashed Sheffield United, but they only lost narrowly to Man City. You know, they've been impressive all the way through the season, able to get results, you know, when maybe they're not at their best as well. Um, I just I just think it's, it's wonderful because no one would have thought that David Moyes going there would have done this. I know teams around them have mm. faulted. You know, when you look at the likes of Liverpool and Spurs and Arsenal, who you'd normally expect being that sort of top six, top seven. And because they faulted, West Ham have capitalised, you know. Um, mm. 40, I'd be intrigued to know, 48 points in a normal season. Would that be enough to sit around fifth and fourth? I don't think so. I think you need a little bit more by this, this point. But because, you know, supposedly some of the big teams aren't up there, West Ham have been been brilliant on their own merit. Um, yeah, it's a big. Aspect. And it feels like these are the sorts of opportunities you've just got to capitalise upon. Well, yeah, because it's unlikely to be the same next season. Is that's it? that's what I was about to say. It's a big ask, but if you don't take your opportunity now, you know, if someone didn't know anything about the Premier League and they looked that West Ham were playing Arsenal, then West Ham would be the favourites going into this one. We've got some tough fixtures before the end of the season. Um, but this is one of the toughest. They've got Wolves, mm. Leicester and, and, and Chelsea are the other big ones, I'd say maybe Everton, but the rest of them are very winnable games. So if they get something out of this, you'd really fancy them to make a push. I don't think they'll make the top four, but top five, yeah. If they, if they win this weekend, I would say top five. Yeah, I mean, it's a great season so far for David Moyes and for West Ham. And I think you mentioned 48 points. The West Ham fans are just happy that doesn't mean they're getting relegated this season. So I think it's a positive for them. I wanted to ask you, Pete, about David Moyes' approach against Manchester United, which was West Ham's most recent top flight game. It felt like David Moyes was very defensive and it ended up backfiring. They lost the game. And 19 years after his first game as a Premier League manager, he's never won away from home at Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea or Arsenal. Obviously, West Ham are at home here against the Gunners. But do you think he does need to be sometimes a little bit more adventurous against those perceived bigger clubs? Because if you're going to try and claw back some ground on the teams above you, it's difficult to do that while sitting back and hoping that things fall for you. I was at the I was at the game, um, United game against against West Ham at Old Trafford, and it was it was really disappointing because I thought, well, you know, this is a time for West Ham to. Is it, when you go to grounds like this when um, you're a team no disrespect, but of West Ham's size, it's more of a free hit. You can mm. go and maybe sort of loosen the shackles a bit. There's no, because you're not under pressure to get a result. You're under pressure to, to get a result if you're at home or if you're playing a, a team below you in the league. But if you're away from home at an Old Trafford at the Etihad, something like that, just have a bit of a go. Like, it wasn't like they weren't defensive. They went ultra defensive. It was a nine-man back line for, for much of the game and it didn't make for good entertainment, I can tell you that. Um, but, his record is remarkable against against um, yeah. big team the big teams away from home, and you know the stats don't lie. Um, and considering just, he was a manager of Manchester United mm. as well, Pete, to be able to go away from home to Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, and not win—it's an unbelievable record for almost two decades. The career that he's had, the longevity that he's had at the clubs that he's been at, it is remarkable that there's never snuck, snuck a win anywhere. 
Um, that has to be down to negative negative tactics when you're going into these games. Um, and it's it doesn't make for a good watch uh, a lot of the time. And just, you know, loosen the shackles a bit. At home, it'd be different. At home, the, I expect them to ha- have a go at Arsenal. Um, but if you want to be competing at this end of the, uh, of the league and be taken seriously as well, I think that's an important point, and be taken seriously and it not be seen as a fluke, then you have to go to these grounds and, and at least try and, you know, have more than one man, um, mm. uh, you know, not camped on, your, um, on the edge of the 18-yard box. Um, mm. It was the very definition of parking the bus, and it's not. It's not. Um, if you do want to be taken seriously as a as a, a top six, top seven contender, then you've got to uh, you've got to be a little bit more cavalier. Yeah, I do wonder why Moyes went for that approach against Manchester strange, United. Really There's strange, nothing yeah. to lose, is there? There really no. isn't. And as Michelle's already outlined, the season that West Ham are having, and the fact that the other sides have kind of fallen by the wayside in terms of the race for the top four, I just thought it was a really baffling approach from the West Ham manager. Anyway, you've pinpointed already, Michelle, Jesse Lingard, who has actually been called up to the England squad um, in the latest selections by Gareth Southgate. We'll come on to that a little bit later on in the podcast in a bit more detail. Do you think he deserves it after a couple of good months? Of course, he only linked up with those at the London Stadium in January. Uh, And what do you think it does for the people that say Gareth Southgate's got his clear favourites? Um, well, Jesse Lingard was a big part of the World Cup, wasn't he? So he's mm. he's got that relationship with Gareth Southgate already. Um, but yeah, I know we're going to come on to things in quite more detail, so I won't say too much. But um, so his Premier League stats, if you look at them online, um, are six appearances, four goals, and two assists. So in every game, if you put it like that, he's returned something. Um, mm. It's. It's a funny one without going into too much detail in the England squad right now in that there's other forwards you can make a case for. But I think he just looks confident. He looks like he's enjoying his football. And for me, if I'm the England manager, you'd want someone like that in the squad because they look fresh and excited about the new challenge. But they've also got that experience from three years ago. Mm. That could be so key. Yeah, in all fairness, Southgate did say, didn't he, that he would be picking players on form. We'll come on to the England squad in slightly more detail a bit later on in the show. What about Arsenal then? Michelle, they got through against Olympiacos in the Europa League, albeit they lost the second leg, but they still managed to go through on aggregate. What's the task for Arteta in the Premier League, though, from a Premier League perspective, particularly in the summer? If you kind of look further ahead than this game against West Ham on Sunday... They've had a poor season in the Premier League by the standards expected of Arsenal Football Club. What is required? Is it a clear out, just a reset, just a change of mentality in the summer and draw a line under this campaign and go again? How do they approach it, do you think? Well, when I was doing my fantasy team um, earlier, I was looking through the Arsenal squad, actually, um, and just thinking, oh, there's no one really here that I want to put in no one that lights Mm. it up and no one that springs to mind you know as a neutral that has really I guess lit up the Premier League Obama Yang you know had that dodgy spell then he got a few goals um I I think I think going into this weekend they'll if they can get a result you know that that'd be nice because they've done the double over um West Ham 11 times before so they'll be looking forward to playing them but when you look beyond that towards the end of the season, it's hard to see what they can really achieve now. Not a lot. Um, so over the summer, 
I would imagine they'll, they'll need to get in some reinforcements when you're looking at that squad on paper. They've got to get rid of some mm. of the deadwood as well. You know, I don't, mm. <laughs> you don't want to name names and be like really harsh. Um, no. But, but I think the to... fact, Michelle, that the young players like Smith Rowe and Smith Saka Rowe, yeah. has basically glued the side together this season, that should be a cause for concern for some Gunners fans. Yeah, and I think just if you look in the midfield and the heart of the team, it doesn't inspire confidence. So if he wants to regroup in summer, he's relied so heavily on those young players that he now mm. needs to not build a team around him, but he, around them, but he needs to complement them. So just I'd be looking for a bit more solidity in the midfield and in the spine of the team. And then you've got Smith Rowe, um, Saka. I think Kieran Tierney's been wonderful. Let's not forget mm -hmm. him. Um, but yeah, the rest of the team, I would say that spine and that central midfield, you'd be wanting to have a look at, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And if you think about the amount of loans that Arsenal have got, Erdegaard, who plays in a central position, Danny Savaios, who plays in a central position, both lone players. Thomas Partey hasn't really hit his straps yet. It does feel like there is some tinkering and some adjusting needed to be done by Mikel Arteta in the summer at Arsenal. Anyway, they travel to the London Stadium, a short trip from North London to East London for them. Sunday, 3pm kickoff, West Ham taking on the Gunners. Final game this weekend that we're going to discuss because, of course, just three Premier League fixtures to look forward to over the course of Saturday and Sunday. Aston Villa against Tottenham. This one kicks off half seven on Sunday. I mean, we could talk all day, Pete, about Tottenham's performance in the Europa League on Thursday night. It was a dreadful showing. Jose Mourinho, I don't think I've ever seen him look so despondent and crestfallen as he did in his post-match interview, which ticked along for eight to nine minutes. And Mourinho, back in his pomp, if that's fair to describe it as that, would usually get through those post-match interviews in a matter of minutes, two to three minutes. He'd say what he needed to say. The confidence was coursing through his veins and he'd be out of there having done his post-match interview. You know, eight minutes, nine minutes later... Uh, last night he was still going on and talking about how he feels more than sad about the way that Tottenham got knocked out of the Europa League. I mean, they lost against Arsenal last time out in the Premier League. I mean, goodness me, European football for Spurs has to be the minimum target. Top four, some saying that's out of reach. I mean, if they're going to have to pick themselves up after the, the way that they lost to Dinamo Zagreb, playing against Aston Villa is not an easy way to do it. No, it's not. Um... Uh, Villa have, 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 um, have turned many a good team over this season um, and they've continued to have an excellent season. They've proven they're no flash in the pan, that's for sure. Um, Dean Smith is one of the most underrated managers in the Premier League for me. Um, but a, a remarkable, a remarkable, just a remarkable season in, in general. But uh, to, to, to see Tottenham go out the way that they did um, through completely their own doing, um, it wasn't um, no disrespect to Dinamo Zagreb. They put um, they put in a great performance, um, but it was all Tottenham's own doing. Uh, the reason they went out, you can't you can't you can't uh, lose a two leg advantage, a two goal advantage like that in the second leg uh, at this level. It's it's criminal, really. And I think Hugo Lloris's um, post match interview was more telling um, when he sort of said that. Um, it was a the the performance was a disgrace, and it showed where the club is at. It sort of a, a it gave a a view of where the club is at, which is which is quite ugh, uh, quite a dig, isn't it? Um, mm. The the um, I don't know what they're going to call the next Amazon series. That's for sure. Like all <laughs> all, all for nothing, maybe I don't know. <laughs> nothing or nothing, maybe nothing or nothing. Yeah, just nothing. Yeah, <laughs> just, just don't call what, it anything. Yeah, just, <laughs> just, yeah. Like, why why are we he, why are we here? Question mark. Um, it was. They're not going to get the top four in the Premier League. That's that's out of reach. It's it's, it's not. Um, 
obviously it's not mathematically impossible, but they're not going. Who's they're not going to get there if you know if anyone's going to sneak in, it's going to be a Everton, it's going to be a Liverpool, mm. or maybe even a West Ham. It's not going to be Tottenham. I think we can. I think I can safely say that now. Um, so that this was the big chance to not only win the Europa mm. League but get back into the Champions League. Which is, I remember mm. when United when United won the Europa League and when they were getting to the final of the Europa League, um, it was uh, you didn't want to admit it really because you always want to admit that your team wants to win silverware. But the main main aim of it really, especially if you're not in the top four, is to get back into the Champions League the mm. following year because that's how you attract the players to to cut. You know, if you're not got the Champions yep. League, you're not going to be able to attract the players to make you better the following season. And it's more than that, Pete, as well. It's sponsorship deals, which sometimes are reduced if you don't finish in the top four. And of course, with the things that are going on in the world at the moment regarding the pandemic, finances have been uh, stripped back and reduced. And so those effects of not qualifying for Europe may even have a more damaging effect in a collateral way behind the scenes. And I'm talking about cuts being made for people in terms of perhaps jobs being lost and stuff like that. So there is more to it than, than... what you see on the surface if you scratch below that facade you do find some you know more damning sort of yeah. ideas regarding what it means to not qualify for europe i think i think one telling uh one telling thing that will that, that will that we'll see in 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 future months is that you're talking about job losses one job they can't lose and can't afford to to lose i.e I pay off will be jose Mourinho. Like mm. you, people are talking about him getting sacked, but they can't afford to. He's not. He's not going to walk away. He's not going to walk away from that contract for nothing, is he? And they can't afford to sack him because Daniel Levy wanted this blockbuster manager that was going to front this Amazon series, and he was <laughs> going to. He, he was going to be this big name, this glamour name that he's always he's always wanted. This glamour name for Tottenham. He's got this fantastic stadium that's one of the best stadiums in the world. He's always wanted a famous face to front that. And that is why, that's the main reason why Pochettino was replaced. He didn't see him as that worldwide figure, uh, worldwidely famous figure that Jose Mourinho was, which is why Jose Mourinho came in, which is why he got the job. And now they're stuck with him. It's a similar way with like United, United sort of, Man United sort of overpaid for David De Gea and now they're stuck with him because um, you, can't, you can't sell him because nobody's going to pay that sort of money for an out of form. Well, not out of form, but not particularly, not as good goalkeeper as he was. And his wages are so big that he's not gonna he's not gonna exactly gonna uh, push for a move, is he? It's the same with Jose Mourinho. He isn't he can't go anywhere because they can't afford to sack him. So they're in a they're in a bad, bit of a pickle really because it's a, it's an unhappy squad. It's an unhappy man. It's an unhappy manager. They're eighth in the Premier League and out of Europe. Oh, that's uh, it's not that's uh, <laughs> you know. But you know what? You know what? I, I take all all that back. What I said about the Amazon series, I'd watch that. <laughs> watch well just for the one episode where they get kicked out of Europe. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I, I, that would that would have been a great episode. Just mm. just following Jose around after that, I, it was it was a nice it was a nice touch that he went in the dressing the the Dinamo dressing room and and Agreed. applauded applauded the players. He, he is he is a nice he is a nice man deep down. Um, mm. Sometimes sometimes deeper down than um, than uh, than you'd like, but he um, he's he's got to get. The problem thing is now is it's gonna. I think it's gonna get nastier. It's gonna start. It's the the, the blame there'll is gonna be a gonna backlash, st- won't there? There'll be a backlash, and he's not. We've seen in the past that every club has been. He's not gonna be afraid to target individual players or to 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 uh, alleviate himself from the blame. Mm. And it's. I think it's gonna get quite nasty because it ain't. I, I in my opinion anyway. I don't think it's gonna get any better this season. And you know, if you look, if they finish the season. Eighth, ninth, tenth, even um, without any silverware, with the players that they've got on the wage bill, 
Um, it's it's just, it's not going to be it's, it's not going to be a pleasant place, and, and it'd be fascinating to see how it plays out because I I, I can't see an exit exit strategy for for anyone. Mm, absolutely. Well, they used to call him Mister Motivator during his time at Chelsea. <laughs> how does Jose Mourinho go about motivating these <sighs> Tottenham players after the week they've had? Really interesting uh, dynamic there at Tottenham. What about Aston Villa then? They've struggled recently, Michelle, without Jack Grealish since his injury. I think it's fair to say that the results haven't quite been there. How do they go about performing without him when he's inevitably going to be missing in future at periods and pockets throughout the season? Is it a real issue that Dean Smith needs to address, do you think? Oh, so, so missed is Jack Grealish. He's, yeah, we, we know that he is the heartbeat of that, that Villa team. Um, mm. I would imagine he'll probably have Douglas Louise sitting and then John McGinn and Morgan Sanson, who they brought in in January. Mm-hmm. And then Trari and Agazi, either side of Ollie Watkins up front. Um, oh, just a little side note on Ollie Watkins as well, which is quite interesting. Spurs were, were well, they inquired about him. So um, in the summer, eventually, obviously, he went to Villa. So I think that's an interesting little side note if Ollie Watkins manages to get a goal at the weekend. But, mm. yeah, Jack Greenish, is, he's world-class. You know, he's been one of the best, if not, for me, very biased, the best player in the Premier League this season. <laughs> what is so weird is we don't know what the injury is, um, mm. but Dean Smith played his cards close to his chest in his presser and basically said, well, he's back on the grass, but we don't know if he's going to play mm. or not. Well, at least it's not being leaked through fantasy football this time, well, Michelle, like I'll it was tell you a few what, weeks ago. Yeah, and there's been none of that, that's for sure. It's been very, <laughs> very tight-lipped about what's what's um, been happening with him. So let's assume he's not playing. Then it's just trying to find that creative outlet. And we, we see really what Morgan Sanson is worth. Um, we know John McGinn can run all day. But with respect to him, brilliant, brilliant player. But he'll say himself he's not Jack Grealish. He can't find those balls. He can't find those runs. And Ollie Watkins needs Jack Grealish back in that team. He desperately needs him back so he can start firing again. Although I think Ollie Watkins is just a little unlucky at times when he hits the woodwork and, and VAR and things. But it, yeah, that's what Villa will probably do, I'd imagine. Um, maybe a good time to play Tottenham after what happened midweek in the Europa League. But we'll see. Happy 50th birthday, by the way, to Dean Smith. I thought you were saying that to me then. I was like, steady on, Michelle. Uh, You've got got a little way to go. But yeah, um, Villa Boss is is 50 today. So obviously it'd be a lovely birthday present for him on Sunday if they were to win. But just a contrast as well between two managers that, you know, Dean Smith loving life, managing his side, who have over, well, arguably overachieved, over exceeded expectations for sure in the Premier League this Mm. season. And um, a very happy birthday to him. Clearly someone who's very happy in his job right now. Yeah, 100%. I just wonder with the Grealish being missing factor, whether we're getting into Zaha being missing from Crystal Palace territory. And certainly Aston Villa will want to shake that tag because we've said it for so long about Wilf Zaha when he's not playing for Crystal Palace, how much they miss him and how they look almost indifferent without him. And Villa will be very keen to avoid similar sorts of things being thrown at them throughout the course of the season when Grealish is injured. Final one, Michelle, then on this, as you take on Tottenham Sunday, 730 if the season ended this weekend, would you be happy as a Villa fan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I always want more. <laughs> but <laughs> I sat down. Was it Jack Grealish? I sat down with him. I said, where, where do you think you'll finish this season? He said, oh, between 12th and 8th. And that's exactly where Villa are right now. Emmy Martinez, when I spoke to him, said, oh, no, I want to aim for Europe. And the thing is, we have had so many good 
results, so many surprising results, the 7-2 against Liverpool, and so many great victories. It feels like we've come so far compared mm-hmm. to last season. So if the season were to finish today, then there'd be no complaints, but there's that little bit where you can see the Europa League on the horizon. And I just remember in the 90s, the likes of um, um, Atletico Madrid coming to Villa Park and things like that, and Villarreal, like a Celta Vigo. I remember those games as a kid. And Mm. I just think it would be so, so special to have European football back at Villa Park. So I don't want it to finish tomorrow because I want Villa to... But I'll tell you what, that challenge for a Europa League spot is incredibly tough, incredibly Mm. tough. So Yeah, really tight in there, isn't it? And I'm with you, those nostalgic nights under the floodlights, there's something different in the air when it's a European fixture. Um, Certainly it'd be great to see those days back at Villa Park. Michelle will be hoping that her side, Aston Villa, can get the win this weekend against the Tottenham side who are on the floor after the week they've had. Villa against Spurs at Villa Park, Sunday, 7.30pm kickoff. Right then, that's it for the first part of Football Social Daily. More podcasts for you after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Now, if you live in the UK you'll no doubt be aware of the story of Sarah Everard. Sarah Everard was walking home from a friend's house when she was kidnapped and murdered, shockingly the suspect being a serving Metropolitan Police officer. It's a tragic story which has sparked fury and outrage. She was just a woman walking home. The evil and callous nature of Sarah's death has been difficult to stomach for so many women across the country and indeed across the world. All she was doing was walking home from a friend's. In the 21st century, why should a woman feel unsafe when walking home? Why should a woman feel unsafe in society in general? Sarah's alleged killer was a man. The event has led to questions regarding the behaviour of men when it comes to how they treat women. And yes, we know it isn't all men that display this sort of behaviour, but it's enough men for every woman to be wary of every male figure they come across. How can a woman tell whether a man means harm or a man means good. Understandably, with these questions come wider debates regarding the treatment of women by men in society in general, and that includes male-dominated workplaces, of course, of which football is one, no doubt. Now, it's impossible for me to come on the podcast today and speak with any authority about what it's like to be a woman in the football industry. I don't face the same concerns or issues that the brilliant women in our game have to face. And yes, I also understand this is a football podcast, But as a show with a largely male-dominated audience, these conversations need to be had. These issues have to be discussed. And it's crucially important that we don't use football as a mask or a veil to let these societal problems slide. Now, Michelle, you've worked in the football media industry for a number of years. In light of current affairs, I just wondered if you might be able to pull back the curtain a little bit on what it is actually like being a woman in the football industry, which is so dominated by men. Uh, there was a great article this week by Melissa Reddy. Um, mm. Don't know if, if you guys have read this one. Um, it was have, basically, yeah. yeah. So this was about the 2016 um, final at Wembley. It was the League Cup final. And she's wrote a piece mm. in The Independent, which I tell every person, male or female, to go and read. And she 100%. Called, yeah, she called it the truth about covering football as a female journalist. And I feel like over the last week, since this awful, horrific news has come out, um, that more women have said, oh, actually, this has happened to me. This has happened to me. 
And um, she speaks about how um, someone lent in and kissed her when she was doing some mm. media and how someone literally flashed her when she was also doing something else. But I'd say go and read it so you can read more detail. Mm. I feel like I've been relatively fortunate in the grand scheme of things, um, or I thought I had, um, to not be too troubled when covering football matches. But then mm. I really thought about it and I thought of all the little instances. Now, I'm so, I am the sort of person that will bottle things up and just put them to the back of my mind and try not to think about them again. Now, with social media, mm. that's difficult because it's on a screen in front of you. And there's plenty on social media about get back in the kitchen, um, go and cover netball, and, and worse, much worse, about appearance and things like that. But mm. when you talk about physically doing the job, there's been a few incidences, and I will name where they were because I think that hashtag not all men was a load of rubbish because we know it's yeah. not all men, but that's not the point. So I was at mm. Plymouth Argyle a few years ago now. I've been probably doing Vision for Soccer Saturday for a couple of years, and mm. this guy in the crowd was just, I couldn't actually hear him that well because I had my headphones on. So when we have our headphones on, we can't actually hear what you're saying when you talk to us because we can hear the programme. But he was mm. like torrenting abuse. And he was more annoyed at the referee than he was of me and what I was saying. But he felt like I wasn't giving the referee enough jip. And basically some things I couldn't say on the podcast were said. And the steward said, do you want us to chuck him out? And like I'm there in front of sort of thousands of Plymouth Argyle fans and I have to decide whether this guy gets chucked out and it was like what why am I deciding like it's his behavior you should decide but I'd only been mm. the job a couple of years and, and I was like oh no just get him to apologize and then a few weeks later I was walking out of the ground and um these two lads like like brushed past me and literally brushed past my backside deliberately and I'm like mm, what are you doing and they're like oh mm. look at you with your designer handbag and literally it was just a handbag that cost 10 quid you know and i'm like mm -hmm. i was like it's not a designer handbag and and they ran off like they were really drunk but it's no excuse and there's been loads mm -hmm. of things like that the get your tits out shout has been said many a time mm -hmm. i think sometimes fans try and intimidate you like when they're stood next to you on the gantry they're like shake the the gantry and, and look at you and i just wonder mm, i don't know if they do that to a man um mm -hmm. and yeah when i leave a football ground i've in the last week since that awful awful news about that poor woman who's just two years older than me so it hits close to home um mm -hmm. i bought i bought an um a rape alarm because i used to have one and i think i've become a little bit blasé if i'm honest so i have to leave grounds where you have to walk to car parks you guys know what it's like but you probably mm -hmm. don't give it a second thought but whenever i've i've left a ground Anywhere, it's a little bit better at the moment because we can park outside the grounds. But whenever I leave a ground anywhere, I phone my husband, tell him I'm walking to the car. I did it the other week when I left QPR. There's no parking there. So I had to walk for 10 minutes across London. And I got to my car. He's like, oh, is there anyone in the back of the car? It's like, no, check the back of the car. It's fine. He's like, oh, don't put the phone down. I mean, the Get fact in. you even have to say yeah, that, yeah. Michelle, is shocking in itself. For you, it's shocking. For me, it's not. So I, Which is I, the sad thing indeed, yeah. Yeah, and so I get in the car and he's like, have you locked the doors? I'm like, I've locked the doors. He's like, right, drive off and then I'll hang up. So, yeah, to me, like, that's not shocking because it's just been normal for years, ever since I've been a young woman doing anything, going out in public mm. after dark. I don't run after dark. And we live, I would say, in a relatively pretty safe area in a nice little town by the sea. But I, I, I would like to run in, in the evening, but I don't. Um, and mm. when I leave a football ground in the evening, yeah, I don't like it. I feel uncomfortable for sure. And that's 
that's what it's like. And hearing you react like that, I'm like, oh, why are you shocked? But then, yeah, it is shocking. And that's why we need to talk about it more. 100%. And I appreciate you sharing your thoughts as well, because like I said before, it's a discussion that has to be had. I don't think because this is a football-focused podcast that we need to ignore the events that are going on outside of the grand scheme of football. This is a societal problem, and it's one that is endemic across all aspects of society, not just um, general society being outside, walking, running, and all of that sort of stuff. It's the general treatment of women by men in the game of football um, and beyond, which is an issue that needs to be addressed and something that I think men need to take more responsibility for, Pete, because Michelle shouldn't have to go through some of the things that she's gone through and have to brush it off in the way that she has done over the years because of the behaviour of ultimately are some people's mates. You know, they could be my friends, could be your friends, could be anyone's friends. And it's up to us to kind of shackle that and say, listen, you need to pull yourself together and behave in a more appropriate manner. It is, it is like Michelle was saying that, it's crazy, really, that, you know, in this day and age that Michelle still has to do that when she walks to a car. It's, 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 it's I mean, Michelle says it's not shocking for, uh, for Michelle, but it, it does. It, it shocks me that, you know, that should, how does that have to happen? Because you're right. Michelle is exactly right. I, coming out of games, coming out of grounds, I often have to walk 10, 15 minutes. And I don't even bat an eyelid thinking about it because I'm, you know, just on my phone or rereading what I've sent or whatever. And I don't have those concerns. I don't have to do that, what Michelle has to do. And it's, it's horrendous that in, you know, this, we, we regard ourselves as a modern society, a modern civilised society and a mm. modern civilised country. Um, and the fact that, Mich- that Michelle still feels like she has to do that and, and obviously with the news that's happened last week, it's, it's horrendous that we, we, we still have to... Still, uh, people like Michelle feel like they have to come out and say these things because they shouldn't. It should be it should be common knowledge. It should be to mm. to me and you, Niall. Obviously, it's 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 obvious that this 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 is not how Michelle ha- should have to come out of a of a of a ground. But it's mm. sad that unfortunately it's still the case. How do you feel about everything that's gone on, Michelle, and the kind of debates that have happened since the incident? And obviously, we pass our condolences and thoughts to uh, Sarah Everard's family and everyone who's been affected um, by that story and subsequent stories as such. What are your thoughts on the kind of the outcome and the uproar and, you know, the understandable anger uh, about the situation and perhaps some of your ideas and, and, and thoughts on how the game can combat the sexism and the behaviour from males towards women in future? Well, it's not just a game, is it? It's it's a societal problem. My heart just breaks for sure. Sarah Rod's family and, and loved ones. Like just what she went through, it doesn't bear thinking about. If you do stop and think about, it could be another woman, you know. And it's not just football. There's so much like domestic abuse and and things like that. We don't see behind closed doors. Women that are afraid to speak out, and it's just been the norm for for so long. I think in terms of what we do with, with football. Um, if you're a guy in a press box, just make us feel welcome. <laughs> you know, I, I've got to say, I've always been made to feel super welcome by 99% of reporters, journalists, media teams. Um, but if you see us and you don't know us, just smile at us, you know. I do go to some places still where I don't even get acknowledged. 
um, which I don't like. It just makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, as it might a male, but it just makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. And then we just need to bring up our kids and the next generation to, we just need to do the very best job we can to educate them on how you speak to another person, how you speak to another woman. And there's been a lot of, of talk of how, like, if you are out after dark, if you see a woman walking, what you should do. And my husband said to me, he's like, I just give them a, a really wide berth, which is probably a good idea. And I, I don't have the right answer to that because everyone's individual take on it will be exactly that. Um, but there is such a wariness. You know, if you look at the, the, the statistics, what people have been saying about um, sexual assaults or anything like that that's happened, or it seems like almost every woman has a story to tell about how they've been touched inappropriately by a man, you know, and we've all got those stories to tell. So if you're a football fan and you go back to football when we're finally allowed back, and we can't, I can't wait to have fans back, you know, male or female, but just make sure that you do give women a little bit of room. You do give them a bit of distance when you're leaving the game you don't shout obscenities at them. It's basic stuff that your parents should have taught you. And I will most definitely be telling my son, and if he ever, honestly, if he ever did anything like that and I found out about it, <laughs> I'd be so ashamed. So when you think about these things, think about how your behaviour impacts the other person. And that, would, I guess, would be, as a woman, what I'd say to every man who's either involved in football, works in football, attends a football match, is a football fan. You shouldn't have to think of them as your sister, mum, wife or daughter or friend. You shouldn't have to think of me like that to try and get some sense out of it. But if mm. you do, think about it like that. 100%. And I'll echo everything that you say there, Michelle. And thank you for speaking about your experiences being a woman in the football industry. I think it's important, as we say, that these conversations are had. And if you are listening to this, the next time you think about sending a tweet to someone who's a woman about their appearance or about their ability to do the job, think again. Think as if it is your mother or sister, like what Michelle says. Next time you are in the stands and you've had a few lagers, think again. And if that's one of your mates doing that, don't do it. Stop. It's so important that this debate's had, and I'm glad that we've discussed it on Football Social Daily. It's a, an issue which is obviously one that's going to take a while to stamp out and, and sort out, but we'll make sure that we're committed to doing that and making sure that people are responsible for their behaviour wherever we can. Still plenty to talk about here on today's podcast, including the Champions League draw and, of course, the England squad, which has been announced for the upcoming internationals. We'll do it next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. And of course, there are still three Premier League sides in the Champions League. The draw for the quarterfinals have been made and it came out as follows. Manchester City play Dortmund, Porto take on Chelsea and Real Madrid take on Liverpool. Some tasty ties there, Pete, including a potential Liverpool versus Chelsea semi-final should both English sides get through their respective ties. Let's start with Chelsea who take on Porto. They looked so solid at the back, didn't they, in the Champions League against Atletico. They really made people sit up and take notice with their performances against the La Liga leaders. And Thomas Tuchel even said that he feels now that Chelsea should feel confident going into this next stage against Porto because they've kind of earned the right to feel like they should be taken seriously and perhaps even a Champions League title contender. 
two goals conceded in 13 games. That is a remarkable record. Um, <laughs> One of them a penalty as well. I know. I, um, and it is, it's, it's mad. It's an absolutely incredible record, really. Um, the, you know, the, the critics, the, the naysayers have pointed to the fact that they're not scoring a great deal of, uh, you know, a lot of goals, but you, you don't need to, do you? You don't need to be beating teams 3 or 4 nil every week. Um, that was the perfect Champions League performances over both legs. That was an, it, it was an Atletico Madrid performance um, that they did against Atletico Madrid. Um, it was a very Diego Simeone uh, performance. Um, they never looked like they were going to be breached in both in over over the course of mm. two legs. So well organised, perfect for knockout football because we know I, I, knockout football is such a is such a it's it's not a, a great tool to uh, to measure progress against to me, to measure success against because anything can happen you know a, a dodgy penalty yeah. a VAR um, but if you make yourself so impenetrable like Chelsea have done um, it's absolutely perfect in in knockout football because you don't have to be free flowing in attack when you've got the attacking talent that Chelsea have got in their squad mm. you're going to have one or two chances a game you you likely score one goal and if you if you're that impenetrable at the back then um, one goal is enough. One goal is enough. You, if you if you don't concede that away goal, you're already halfway there. Um, Do you think Porto can breach them though, Pete? Do you think they'll give them any problems? I've actually I've actually um, I've seen a, a fair bit of Porto this season, and um, I think that's I, d- I don't think this is an easy draw as people are making out to be. Um, they've got a fantastic record, defensive record themselves. Um, so I think this will be very very tight. Um, they've got some great uh, attacking talent in there as well. Um, and they were they were the best team over two legs against Juve, uh, Juventus and, and deserved to go through you know against the nine time um, Serie A champions. So they're, they're no pushovers, Porto. And I don't think it's an easy draw as people are making mm-hmm. it out to be. Um, and yeah. and it could be it could be like that Jose Mourinho year, couldn't it? Um, a, t- a team like Porto getting to the final or going on to win it. Um, mm. But um, I think Chelsea just they just look perfectly set up for knock uh, for for knockout yeah. football at the moment just because there's something about Chelsea isn't it yeah I don't know what it is uh, Tuchel's really gone in there and turned it around and rightly so I think that they can feel more confident going into this game with Porto than perhaps they would have done under Frank Lampard oh yeah what about Manchester City then Michelle they've just looked imperious this season in all competitions setting records for win streaks and all of the rest of it but they do have perhaps. Uh, an eye on signing a striker in the summer. One of those could be Erling Haaland, whose father, of course, played for Manchester City in years gone by. City take on Borussia Dortmund. Um, that will be interesting seeing how they do cope with dealing with Haaland, a player who some are saying would end up at the Etihad in the summer. Yeah, I don't think Haaland's staying at Dortmund after this summer, is he? I mean, if you look at them, they're fifth in the Bundesliga. So they might not even make the Champions League. Anyway, so it sounds like, by all accounts, mm-hmm. he's off. Yeah, I think it's an exciting draw for Manchester City. They've got to be favourites going into that one, given the run they're on. Um, like I was mm-hmm. saying, they played a 4-2-3-1, didn't they? On, um, was it Tuesday they played? And they didn't even play with a forward. And they looked, by all <laughs> accounts, I didn't watch the game, but they looked very very comfortable. Brees in 2-0, wasn't it? Clean sheet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can do that and not, not play a forward. It's absolutely incredible. I know Aguero came on, but... Yeah, they've got, they've got to have um, high hopes for this competition. You know, it's the holy grail. He will be putting out a very strong side yeah. against Dortmund. And Pep wants to win it because he's been criticised, so hasn't he, Michelle, for not winning it? Oh, yeah. He wants to win it so badly. You know, they look, they're pretty much Premier, Premier League champions-elect, in, in my opinion. They're, they're well away with that. Mm. So he can afford to go with what he, th- who knows what he thinks is his best eleven. 
Um, and yeah, so it's a nice little undercurrent, isn't it? The the um, Erling Haaland thing as well. So mm. he's, he's, you know, you look at Haaland's, I think he scored 31 goals in 30 games this season, 10 of those in Europe. So he can yeah. do it on the big stage. Um, so yeah, one to watch for them, but I think they'll deal with him. Remember they used to call Henrik Larsson the goal machine when he was scoring goals for Celtic. Um, I think Erling Haaland is the next goal machine because the way he can just find the net seemingly in every game, he's got a gift. And I think Manchester City, it'd be interesting to see how they try and shackle a player who could even be playing in their colours next season. Of course, that remains to be seen. Talks about agents and other European clubs as well, always involved in the discussions when it comes to Erling Haaland, perhaps moving on from Dortmund. So, yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on that one during the summer transfer window. Of course, City take on Dortmund, though, in the quarterfinals of this season's Champions League before that. And Real Madrid play Liverpool. Liverpool, six-time winners of the competition, but they aren't exactly on top form right now. And neither are Real Madrid, Pete. So this one could make for interesting viewing as well. Yeah, this is, it's, it's on paper. It looks like a clash of titans, doesn't it? But it's not. It's, it's very much not. Um, Real, Madrid, Real, Real Madrid are anything, anything but Galacticos these days. Um, and the, the, the squad's been decimated this season with injuries. But um, you look at the, even you look at their strongest team, and it's 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 not a Real Madrid looking team really. Um, they need some major. They haven't got the the cash that they used to have. They need some major investment. They might have a big overhaul in the summer. Uh, and it's still sort of sort of aging players in midfield, um, and they're, they're over reliant on carrying Benzema up front. Um, mm. And their second top goal scorer is Casemiro, as defensive midfielder, which kind of says it all, really. Um, <laughs> and uh, Liverpool, we all know about Liverpool this season, don't we? So, um, I, I, in terms of it, from a neutral point of view, a really exciting game because there's no dominant team going into this. There's there's no team that you could, either of them that you could say. Yeah, they're in fantastic. They're in they're in fantastic form. They should uh, they should win this. So um, it makes it really unpredictable. Liverpool now can, in a way, can can almost write off the, the not not write off, but they can focus much more on the Champions League and plough everything, all the resources and and rest players, um, with the Champions League in mind and and go for it. Mm. Um, which should which should make this tie even more interesting. Uh, I think. If he's had plenty of injury problems this season, but if Karim Benzema stays fit, I, I do fancy Real Madrid to to sneak it because they're they, they've they've improved uh, defensively this season. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, that's it's it's a very very tough one to call and really exciting for the neutral because it is it, not anything like the uh, the the clash that it looks like is on paper. Yeah, two titans by name, but perhaps not by nature right now. Real Madrid versus Liverpool uh, is the other quarterfinal, along with Porto against Chelsea and Manchester City against Dortmund. OK, let's take a look at the England squad because that's been announced today for the upcoming internationals at the end of this month. Gareth Southgate's made his picks and there are a few talking points. I don't like doing lists, but I'm going to have to do it because we'll read mm. through the whole England squad. So the keepers are Dean Henderson, Sam Johnston and Nick Pope. The defenders, and this is where there's been some controversy. Chilwell, Cody, Dyer, James, Maguire, Mings, Shaw, Stones, Trippier and Walker. The midfielders, Bellingham, Foden, Lingard, Mount, Phillips, Rice and Ward-Prowse. And up front, Calvert-Lewin, Kane, Rashford, Saka, Sterling and Watkins. So some interesting names, some interesting selections and also some interesting omissions. Aaron Wambasaka has been left out again. But from a defensive perspective, the omission of Trent Alexander-Arnold has raised a few eyebrows, Michelle. And also the inclusion of Eric Dyer, particularly after Spurs' shaky season. What's your thoughts on Gareth Southgate's picks in defence? 
Well, I'd also say Michael Keane is unlucky too, not to get yes. in. If you look at the names on that England squad that you've just read out, some questionable choices. I just, <laughs> I just, I just wish they'd give us an honest answer. It's like, no, come on. Why, what, now, why are they not in? I, Trent Alexander-Arnold hasn't had a great season, but Eric Dyer hasn't been world-beating either. And it just seems a little bit harsh on Trent because he was one of the best fullbacks in the world last season. And maybe he just needs a little boost of confidence. Mm. And um, probably well, the season before as well, Michelle, in all fairness to him. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's just when a small they, dip in that's form. That's the year they won the Champions League, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's... All players are going to have dips in their career, and he's still so young. So uh, if I was England manager, I'd be giving him that sort of boost of confidence. And Eric Dyer remaining in is instead... Well, I mean, they're not, they're not the same position, are they? But um, Jack Greenish, I think, has been left out because of his injury. But yeah. I, I do have some concerns. I just hope If that... he hadn't have been left out due to injury, <sighs> there would have been uproar. Oh, even, yeah, yeah. Even more so from you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I might drop him out of here, but um, <laughs> I, I feel like... You know, Jack needs to get back fit and firing. Otherwise, yeah. Southgate might look for an excuse not to take him. And it worries me. Um, mm. I think Jude Bellingham is there because he's not. Um, but, yeah, it's um, some interesting choices. Like, I just wish we could get the real reasons behind things. But delighted for Ollie Watkins. Really delighted yeah. for Ollie Watkins. And um, he he's someone, you know, the confidence that will give him will be huge and a lot of people are saying oh Patrick Bamford he scored more goals I just think Ollie Watkins is a more rounded player he, I think he's a willing runner he will run all day for you and yeah uh, Southgate man mentioned his attitude and if you ever get a chance to speak to Ollie Watkins I've watched him since he was at Exeter really down to earth and he just wants to get better and better not that Bamford doesn't but he's 25 Ollie Watkins so this is when he should be coming into the England squad and coming into his prime yeah, sure. Obviously, Jaden Sancho, another notable omission as well. I think that could be down due to injury. Um, but Jude Bellingham as well, question marks over why he was even called up when he might not even be able to play Pete because of issues regarding uh, quarantining and coronavirus and stuff like that. So many issues still up in the air, even though we are hopefully seeing some light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to this pandemic and its impact on football. What's your main takeaway from the selections here from Gareth Southgate? Obviously, the Euros now just a matter of months away. The end of the season is in sight as well. You know, you're talking about players being picked on form and it certainly feels like that's the case right now. But, you know, in the summer when the season's over and the Euros are here, surely you want your manager to pick those players that you think can help win you a game at the best of times and even at the worst of times. Can I? Um, I don't. I don't know if this is allowed on this podcast. Am I, am I allowed to disagree on the on the defenders? You can disagree with dis- whatever you want. You can even I, if, swear if you want. It just means more editing. Oh wow! For me, so. oh, wow. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I shouldn't have said right, that I'll, now. I'll dust off my uh, <laughs> my uh, colloquial vocabulary then. I'll um, dust off the bleep button as well. <laughs> um, well, no, no, no. I won't. I, no, I won't. I'll, my mum listens to this, so I don't want. I don't want her to know that. I, know that I swear. Hi, Mrs. Hall. Um, yeah, yeah. Hi, mum. Yeah, I'll ring you tomorrow. Um, so with, with the defenders, I I have to disagree with Michelle. I'm afraid. I I think and I think that Trent Alexander Arnold. Uh, does not uh, deserve to make it into the England team because he's he's not been good enough and uh, not been as good as other players this season because England are blessed with a plethora of uh, fullbacks, mm-hmm. um, so many quality fullbacks that 
Kyle Walker has been excellent this season for Man City. And Pep Guardiola has as 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 as, um, as praised him, has singled him out for praise recently, and said how much he's improved this season. He's had an excellent season, probably his best season for City. And Reese James has been excellent for Chelsea. So you're not going to take three right backs. So I I don't I don't think he's been as good as those two. So I don't therefore I don't think he needs to get in. Luke Shaw uh, Luke Shaw is a I'm glad to see him in because he's been mm. Man United's best player this season. And John and Stones really, too as well. I'm really glad to see John Stones in because he's been excellent. I, I think. He's worked so hard to get himself back into that City team and he deserves to be in that England team. Um, and it's nice It's nice to see Jesse Lingard in there because uh, uh, as a United fan who's, who's watched Jesse Lingard for many years, um, it, there's ne- never been any doubt that he's had the talent. He just, nev- he just never uh, produced on a consistent basis. And um, given a run of games, which he never really got at United, he's showing what he can do and it's, it's, fant- it's, uh, it's great to see him do that. And uh, it's, it's nice to see... It, um, Bakayo Saka in there, I think, because he's been yes. absolutely excellent for us. And in as but, a forward as well, Pete. Rather well, than that's a that's one of my that's uh, it's what it's a bit of a pet hate of mine actually that he's in as a as a striker when he's not as a forward when he's not forward. It's it's just like why it's like trying to shoehorn in an extra player. <laughs> it's like it's like he's trying to do some sort of fantasy football kind of trickery yeah. here. I'm not <laughs> like. It is you know he's 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 putting Bukayo Saka in as as a, as a position that he's not like yeah. why what are you trying to do there why trying are you trying to make to it look like he hasn't picked a hundred defenders yeah. I see what you mean yeah, yeah 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 it's 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 bizarre and it's a bit of a pet hate of mine actually but I'm glad but I'm glad to see I'm glad to see him in there this there is you look at England squad on paper there is so much talent in there mm. you and arguably like three players that could start in midfield Jordan Henderson Jack Grealish and Harry Winks are not in the squad. Yeah, uh, that's that's serious strength in depth, um, and when you've got under twenty one players like you know the likes of Mason Greenwood, people like that, mm, it's, Hudson Adoy. I mean, well, the under twenty ones is frightening. The under twenty ones is frightening. But but how many times have we been here? How many times have we been? In oh, a position golden where... generation! Don't yeah, start golden with this. I tell you what, yeah. I remember the heartbreak of Ronaldinho chipping David Seaman. And the squad that of, of players that England had between oh, the turn of the century and 2005. Don't, don't oh my say it. Me. Don't yeah, do I'm it. I'm not going don't, to. Let's not go down do that it. rabbit hole. That that mid that midfield. Oh, anyway, anyway, anyway. No, let's not. Let's not. No, let's not do it because yeah, that's not that's not a place I want to go into on a fr- on a Friday evening. But um, the and I'm glad to see that I, th- I think Dean Hend. I always I've I've, I've, yeah. I've been a Dean Henderson fan for, for for a while. I think he's an excellent goalkeeper. And I, I really, really hope he gets a run as as United's number as United's number one. I think Solskjaer needs mm. to be brave with that. But and I also think he's he's England's best goal. It's it's hard really because Nick Pope is such a good shot stopper. Yeah. But um, there's a different type of goalkeeper that you need for different games. And at international level, you're not necessarily going to be making 15 shots, saving 15 shots a game. It's mm. more about your command of the area. It's more about your 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 distribution or your uh, or your your presence perhaps in the box. And I just think Henderson has that. And I, mm. I, I really think that he could be an excellent goalkeeper for England and United if he's given the chance. And and you know you look at that squad and you think he's he, he's likely to start. Um, mm. And it's mainly what gets me excited is that, is that the 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 fullback options because fullbacks are so important in the modern game um, since sort of Guardiola sort of brought them into the the, uh, the vocabulary I suppose here and there's so much talent at fullbacks you know if if Trent Alexander Arnold can't get in the squad who's yeah. one of the, who who has led the assists for defenders for the last three years in the Premier League. That's that, that shows not necessarily that Southgate has made a poor decision um, in not 
picking Trent Alexander-Arnold that there's so much talent to keep him out. Mm. I, I, th- I think that's that's really exciting for the future, and it's. Um, I, I think I think defensively, the, the one weak area, the weak area that we have, I think is is centrally defence. Like you talk about Eric Dyer, yeah. Like what I said this know, a few weeks ago. I just don't yeah. think that you get the same feeling about the centre back options as you do with the other no. areas. Which is why it's been good to see. John Stone's doing so well this season because Harry Maguire is almost guaranteed to start, but I, I'm not. The I, I, jury's still out for me on, on Harry Maguire. I think um, other defenders at United get a lot more a lot more stick than Maguire does, but he's not he's not impressed me that much. He's uh, he's been through a lot off the pitch, um, yeah. Which which is gone, which is bound to affect uh, anybody's mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of his his, his playing performances, is is very much hit and miss. Yeah. Um, I think I it's think that... level something similar at Tyra Mings as well. Some would argue that Ponce yeah. has been better yeah. this season than Mings has. So it's true what you mean. Dyer's in there because there isn't. I think I think Michelle's right to point that Michael. It should be Michael Keane instead of Dyer. But mm-hmm. um, I think um, Dyer is in there because other than Michael Keane, there's not really many other alternatives. And it's 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 quite surprising really because it's an area that we've always been. England have always had lots of strength of depth. You know, you talk about the the Tony Adams era. There was, you know, Sol Campbell couldn't get in the England squad when he was <laughs> when he was younger. You know, we always had so much talent there. But now, you know, you look at the centre halves, even the first choice centre halves, and you think they're not exactly not exactly world class. But I mean, I think that's picking holes. I think otherwise, I think it's it's, it's an exciting squad, and it, it's exciting that you have players like long term wise that you have Trent Alexander Arnold mm-hmm. who can't get in because there's there's so many other players ahead of him. So much talent, but please, England, don't oh, waste yeah, it. Yeah, Do yeah. not waste you know the chance. We 20 know what's coming. 20 years time, we'll be sat here talking about, remember when we had all those great players yeah, and yeah. got knocked out <laughs> in the group Remember those the glory Euros. days? Remember that golden era of fullbacks in, 20, <laughs> in t- 2021? We had fullbacks coming out of our ears and, that, and, and now look. Yeah. Didn't win anything. <laughs> anyway, regardless of who starts in goal for England, I doubt there'll be too many shots to save considering San Marino are one of the opponents in the upcoming games. <laughs> but still, know. you never know. We've reached the end of Football Social Daily for today. This has uh, been a bit of a scaled back Premier League preview show, but still lots to talk about when it comes to the Champions League and, of course, the England squad. And Fergal Brennan and the gang will be back tomorrow to preview those few Premier League games as well as talk about some of the other affairs going on in and around the Premier League across the course of the weekend but thanks very much michelle thank you pete as well i'm niall don't forget to hit subscribe that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again but that's it for today's football social daily and we'll speak to you again tomorrow football social daily from sports social find us on instagram at sports social official it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you wanna get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday I will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family 
No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.